I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello there, guys, and welcome to the weekly edition of the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Joe Holbert, hosting for the first time in a couple of weeks, and I'm joined by my late night uh, colleague, Timmy Awatesu. How's it going, Timmy? What's up? Late night indeed. I thought... I would consider coming on with some sort of music entry, a la Mike Miller, but instead, I'm just going to give a public apology to Nick Nurse. I questioned whether he could coach, and he's making me look a fool, so that's all I'll leave with. He is the Raptors are surging, but we're going to talk about a couple of the, the Raptors' rivals today. Obviously, it's a 30-team league. It's, it's so hard to like, you know, focus on all the teams, but we do our best yeah. here. Um I don't really wait around at the start, so we're going to dive right in. We're going to start with the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that Timmy requested to talk about, and I think it's very, it's a very good suggestion because they are one of the most popular teams in this country, but they have had a pretty strange start to the season. They did win. They had a nice win in Indiana last night, but this is a team that, to me, has looked a little bit disjointed. There are... Uh, 20th in offensive efficiency. The defense is good. They're fifth, but they've not really been pretty to watch at times. What what have you made of their start to the season? Do you agree with this sort of they may be a little bit flawed, but obviously ultimately they've been a positive team, positive net rating, positive record. But do you think we need to be seeing a little bit more from them? We definitely need to be seeing a bit more. I mean, we had our own sort of worries about whether this team was ready given the moves that they'd made over the summer, the players that they'd lost, whether they were going to be able to take that next step that we hoped they were going to after last season. Um, And I just feel like perhaps this team is maybe taking a step back or rather as the teams around them get better, they're sort of stagnating. You know, it was a big, I mean, obviously they did lose. I mean, the loss of Belenelli Ilyasova we spoke about in the preview division and you know, their three-point shooting has really been a struggle this season so far. They're in the bottom 10 in the league. Reddick's not even shooting it very well, who's normally sort of automatic. He's only at 35%. Um, and it's it's really showing in their play in terms of how it's affecting their offense. You know, it's sort of a... You look at it and you say, okay, they're actually one of... They're an, a fairly good team in terms of points scored, but their their offensive rating can leave leaves much to be desired at times. And I just wonder whether they'll... Again, as you see what Milwaukee's doing, what Toronto's doing, and um, of course what the Celtics will be able to do as they progress and as their players get healthy, a la, you know, Gordon Hayward, will the Sixers be sort of left in the dust a bit? Yeah, I mean, they've looked pretty putrid offensively. I think Reddick struggles are because they are, they're so reliant on him for that, mm. for that outside shoot. I mean, if you watch their half-court sets, it's either they're going into Embiid in the post, mm-hmm. Or Reddick just kind of runs around a bit on the three-point line, which is always mm. the way they've used him. They've got him attacking the perimeter off screens, pulling players out, and then they'll kick it back inside. But I think he was he was at his best last year when they had the other options. They had him and Bellinelli at the same time. And I think the problem they've got schematically is that Brett Brown wants to run this offense through the posts. Uh, some mm. people are being a bit critical of it, but I don't think he's really got a choice. They don't have... I mean, Fultz and Simmons, just they, they don't shoot. It's mm-hmm. not that they can't shoot. They literally won't shoot. And I think 
that creates so many problems attacking downhill because teams aren't even scared of a pull-up jumper, so they can they can stand off, constrict the paint, and then you've not really got got the spacing. I mean, how the the Markel Fultz Ben Simmons storyline is, I guess, one of the big reasons that they've struggled Fultz more so than Simmons. But how I mean. Where where are they going to get this instant offense from? Because I mean, Bellinelli last year, yes, he's got his flaws, but if I could, if I describe him one way, it's instant offense. You're either getting twenty from him or you're getting zero. There's no in the middle. How yeah. much do you think they've missed that? I think they've missed that a lot. And you know, you said he's had his struggles um, in San Antonio. Elias Sova. I mean, I've looked, I've watched a little bit of the Bucks this season. Of course, is what they're doing under Coach Bud and. It's just the presence of having shooters out there, especially shooters with some form of length, which can just open up the floor. And you see what the Bucks are doing. They're one of the best teams in the league when it comes to three-point makes and just their ability of their ability to run that sort of spread offense. And it's just, that's a big hole that, that's, that's left that Sixers team that was so important for them last year. And a large part of why they were able to go on that 13-game win streak that propelled them to the third seed. You look at it now, like you said, they do have to run a lot of post offense through Embiid. It makes sense when you've got a matchup nightmare like him. who's He's having a great season so far. And more importantly, he can hit his free throws. So it makes sense from the standpoint of you can slow the game down if you need be. You can send him to the line, you know, and have him take 15 to 20 free throws knowing that he's going to make 15, 16 of them. That's fine. But the fact is the way that the offense is exploding right now in the league the way that teams are being run and this sort of modern NBA, how far can that get you? Especially, like you said, you've got two ball handlers who really struggle with their shot. And, you know, I saw uh, there was a tweet from uh, Fultz's coach, uh, who, which was deleted, talking about uh, sort of his training coach, talking about how he's still not 100% healthy, so that's causing more problems. But even regardless of health, the shot is still something that, the shooting, the shooting struggles are something that are going to persist, whether he's healthy or not. I just believe that because it's a, it's a matter of confidence. It's been so long and he's lost any rhythm that he may have had when he was in Washington coming into the league. And it's, it doesn't look like it's got any sign of getting better. Ben Simmons is Ben Simmons. We know what he can do, but the fact is he doesn't have those players around him that he did last year to be able to keep the floor spread, to be able to for him to be able to operate and it not be as much of a liability in terms of um, in terms of putting up points on the board, what's going to end up happening for me is that they're just going to have to really tighten up on defense. We saw them go into, into Indiana, as you said, hold them to 94 points to sneak out there with a win. And I believe that in terms of getting wins consistently, it's going to be really, it's going to really have to be focusing on the uh, defensive end in terms of, in, you know, when moving forward, because I don't think this team can have consistent offensive explosions just with the lack of shooting around on this team. Yeah, I think Brown's really got his hands. He's got he's almost coached with one hand tied behind his back. I mean, they signed Mike Mascala. The problem with Mascala is Ilyasova and guys like Miritich as well. I'm talking about, you know, secondary stretch fours. They offer something other than the shooting. Mascala, the problem is, he yes, he can shoot relatively well for a guy who's nearly seven foot, but he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't rebound. He's not a particularly good passer average below average defender and I think 
you know, they'll get Wilson Chandler back, but he's not really a great three-point shooter. I'd call him maybe average, above average. I think his one good season in Denver was that year where they won 54 and they went like 40 and one at home, where he had all the room because of Fareed just shredding teams on the inside. So I don't really think they're getting going to get much internal help. Uh, Rob Covington's having a good season, but the guy I've been most disappointed with on this team is Dario Saric. Um, played slightly better yesterday, but it's been a pretty dismal season for him. He was one of the reasons that the Sixers didn't really make any moves this summer, and certainly if you speak to Sixers fans, was the belief in this guy. He went, he shot 31% three in his rookie year, jumped up to 40 last year. He's down at 27% this year. Do you think Saric is the most obvious internal improvement? Because I'm not looking anywhere else and just how disappointed have you been with him this year yeah it has to be I mean he's having for me he's clearly having his worst season of the three so far and he was that sort of we wouldn't necessarily call him a glue player but just sort of that sort of maybe wild card piece where sort of in a sense that when he plays well this team can really flow and like you said his three-point shooting has been abysmal down at 27 percent he's given you 35 percent from the field and I, I don't know what you know, I, I can't say I've watched enough um, game by game to really discuss what's um, sort of going wrong with him at the moment. But if they're going to go, if they're going to really pick things up on the offensive end of the floor, that they're going to need him to be more efficient and do what he was doing last year. It could be the sense that the lack of spacing is hurting his game as well, because, you know, it's, it's um, you know, when you have sort of people that need to be guarded true at the three-point line all over the court it can help players like Saric who has that sort of obviously he can step out and shoot the three but he also likes to sort of post up and hit some mid-range jumpers when the floor gets tighter especially if you're running offense a lot through Joel Embiid that can sort of stymie his game so they're going to have to really work that out and sort of and find ways to get him involved if they're going to sort of take that next step. Yeah I mean I, I agree with you on the spacing hurting his game as well it's hurting it's hurting Simmons in his game. It's probably not really helping with faults, but I just think I look back at the off season the 76ers had, it really for me lacked ambition. Um shooting on the market, honestly, like a lot of people say it was there wasn't much of it. I don't agree with that. I mean, the two guys who spring to my mind are Wayne Ellington and Rodney Hood, who waited mm-hmm. ages to get their deal. I mean, surely one of those guys could have helped them. Yes, around the trade deadline they can go and raid the Cavs who've got shooters galore. But you're probably going to have to overpay for those guys because you're desperate. I just think the lack of ambition in their offseason, I think trading away Michael uh, Mikhail Bridges in the draft could hurt them as well. Because, I mean, Zaire Smith, yes, he projects as a good defender when he comes back. I don't think this team needs any more good defenders. I think they're already an elite defensive team. They need shooting. And I'm, I've got to say I'm a little bit worried for them. I think... They're far too reliant on Reddick. And I think the problem they're having as well with Brett Brown is certainly at the start of the year, he's actually moved away from it now. He's playing TJ McConnell a lot, but TJ McConnell was a real negative. They've moved towards uh, Landry Shamit out of Wichita State. He looks quite good. He actually looks like a JJ Reddick light. But in terms yeah. of moving forward for this team, they've struggled against good teams, bar last night, where they had an impressive win in Indiana. But do you think this team is what's it going to take what kind of additions is it going to take for them to push your bostons your torontos or do you think it's out of their hands already i don't think it's out of their hands i think the 
rather than additions, they need to make some improvements internally. You know, they were a solid defense last year. They've still got some positives. Look, they're still a great rebounding team. They're pushing the ball at a nice pace. They're they're taking a lot of assisted shots, largely through Ben Simmons. But I think the main difference is, look, we have seen an offensive explosion this year. To put some context into it, there are 15 teams right now currently giving up at least 110 points per game. Last year, four teams did that. So I think what's happening is is that obviously we're at, at a point where teams are yet to fully adjust to the new ways of things offensively, how they can play defensively. We're seeing teams, with Philadelphia included, that's having problems with communication. They said it themselves in, in, uh, in interviews that they're not communicating properly on defense with the switches that they need to do to be able to um, sort of counteract the, the offense that we're seeing. So I think as the season goes on, the key thing for me is can they improve that defensive ability to the to the level that it was, to the level that they showed last season and adapt it to the modern game? If they can do that, then they can sort of push that gap between sort of the top three teams in the East and themselves. But I fear that early on, we've already seen that what might be inevitable is that actually they're in a second tier when you look at Milwaukee, Toronto, and Boston, and then maybe you have Indiana and the Sixers sort of on that second level. Maybe the we just overestimated where they were on the timeline when they were reeling um, to victories um, late in the regular season last year. And actually, it's going to take a, a little bit longer time. You know, I think Zaya is a big loss. You know, like you said, he's a good defender, shot pretty well in college. But I don't know this season if Elton Brand is going to be able to do what needs to be done, especially just coming into the post as a GM to really take them to the level of the top three guys but it starts with the defense for me. If they can do that and, you know, continue and be that elite defense that we saw them be, then that will take that will at least put them a stretch a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think they're well coached. I think Brett Brown knows what he's doing. Um, you know, the, the main question I've got with them and I think where we will um finish on the sixes is you have mm. got to ask your question about faults. Mm. Do you play him? Because let's be honest, you're actually gonna win less games when you play him. I'm sorry if that's harsh, mm. it's just True, you know the the offensive rating when Simmons and Fultz are out there together is eighty nine. That's um, mm. I don't think a team has put up that bad of a number since probably that's like two thousand and three, two thousand and four. <laughs> um, you know, in the post up days, I think you know you've got to ask your question. But if you're not playing him, he's not going to develop. That for me is the core question of the Sixers team. Do you prioritize winning or do you prioritize Fultz's development? I mean it. I, I haven't even got an answer for it, and I'm just podcasting. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine Brett Brown really has the answer. I mean, he probably is going to play him, but I think I think it's a tough one. Yeah, it's a, it's a really tough conundrum because you've got so many options to consider about his development, whether you want to move on from him. Because if it's the case that you're looking forward, you might want to go in a different direction. You need to be able to play him to show that he has some sort of value. If that's the route that you want to take at the same time, if you feel like you want to develop him again, you need to play him if that's the route you want to take. But if it's not conducive to wins right now, I mean, this is Brett Brown, the guy that came out and said, we're trying to make the finals. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to push deep in the playoffs. And you sort of, if you regress from what we've already seen from you last season and showing the potential and Markel Fultz kind of is the key of, your use of him will dictate which route you want to go down. It's a serious issue. Um, I don't have a definitive answer for that either. All it is is that, I mean, hey, at least 
they don't pay me to coach so we'll have to see what Brett does yeah he's certainly um he certainly got his troubles but I don't think they're as bad as the guy we're about to talk about we're going to go on to the <laughs> Washington Wizards Scott Brooks I have bashed him for years on this podcast I think he's yep. comfortably the worst coach in the NBA <laughs> It's him or Dave Yeager for me, but we're going to talk about the Wizards. So they have been, well, they've been atrocious. I mean, that's yeah. not, they have 27th defensive efficiency. They are the, one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. A mm-hmm. team with a John Wall Bradley Bill backcourt is also 21st in offensive efficiency. Mm. They play at a high pace. I actually think that's more because they give away a lot of points. So they don't really mm. have a choice. Mm. Wow, two and eight. I mean, when we did, I believe me and you did the uh, Southeast. And we were pretty much saying that the Wizards, I think we both had their worst case scenario as being like an eight seat. Um, mm-hmm. How on earth are they two and eight? I mean, what what the hell has gone wrong? I mean, it's just, where do you begin? I mean, this defense is the worst. The thing is, when you look at the teams that are sort of in their class in terms of worst defense in the league, giving up points, the three worst teams in the league are the Lakers, the Kings and the and the, the Wizards with the Wizards last. But at least in the Lakers and Kings, those guys are two of the top five offenses in putting points on the board. So at least you can lean on the fact that, look, you're, you're great on one end, you're leaky on the other. This team is just bad all over the floor. And I, I just don't... And I think that it has... It's to do with problems that it go beyond basketball. This team chemistry is a problem, like you said, Scott Brooks. I just don't think Scott Brooks is the right coach for this team. I think in uh right yeah I think you just need a coach with a bit more metal who's going to be confrontational especially with the player the players that you have and the tandem that clearly has issues together um I mean teams are scoring at will against them if they want they're shooting 39% from deep against them the only team that's better than the only team that's giving up worse percentages from 3 is a team we're going to talk about later in the Mavericks like you said a terrible rebounding team you know Howard was out for a few uh, obviously for the start of the the start of the season, but even still, he's come back in. It, it hasn't been a, a major improvement, um, and it's just incredibly worrying to me. The only sort of inter- record-wise, the saving grace for this Wizards team, which I find quite interesting, is that they've actually been in this situation before. Um, they made the, I think it was the the conference semis in 2016-17. They had the exact same record in their first ten. They went two and eight. In 13-14, again, they made the conference semis. I think they went 2-7. and seven. So, weirdly enough, this team and these guys and sort of Wall and Beal have been tried and tested early on and come back to show signs. But the difference is, is that the golfing class in the East in terms of the teams, you might not have LeBron around anymore, but these teams are really stepping up. And I feel like maybe back then it was sort of the beginning of the end for Washington in terms of early problems were starting to creep, but there are so many issues that are present um, that I just, it's, I mean, it's close to, we're, we're on the catastrophe, we're on the catastrophe edge here. It's as simple as that. Yeah, they've been an embarrassment. I'm actually in prep for this podcast. I'd already watched a couple of their games. I watched a few more back. And the issue I've always had with Scott Brooks is that his offensive scheme is very basic. It's very bland. It's like a, mm. it's like a high school offense. Now, when he was in Oklahoma City, I defended it because I thought actually he's got Westbrook, Harden, Durant, three elite isolators. So of course you're going to play one on one. But in Washington, they've got the personnel to actually be quite a good shooting unit. You've got mm. 
You've got a um, you could potentially have a three and four duo of Ubre and Porter, who actually post very solid defensive numbers for a small ball unit in the in the NBA.com lineup stats. And I just think this team is so bland. They've got a couple of core plays. You know, they'll they'll run a high pick and roll for Wall. Then Bradley Beal will come off a a screen at the elbow, and then they'll mm-hmm. try and kick it out to Porter, who just stands in the corner. Yeah, Markeith Morris is terrible. He's we always talk about on this podcast. We talk about guys who are good stats on bad teams. I think that's him all over. Like, yeah, he's a decent shooter from three, but he take also takes a lot of crappy mid range shots. And I just look at this bench unit. Austin Rivers just hasn't done anything. They're still rolling out Jason Smith in two thousand and eighteen. <laughs> There's just nothing to cheer for this team, and the effort's not there. I agree with you on Brooks. I don't think he's the right guy. I think someone like Dot Rivers would be good for this group, yeah. someone who's maybe a little bit more confrontational. But I honestly, I, I hate saying this term. Hmm. They need to blow it up. I, I hate oh, yeah. that because I when people say that so sim- simplistically and they go, okay, blow it up and do what? But they they just need to blow it up. I don't yeah. care who you trade. I think I'd trade. Um, I think Beal actually would fetch more because I think yeah. Beal's contract. Beal's the most tradable piece for sure. Yeah, he's got a nicer yeah. contract, and I actually think he's more valuable uh, yeah. in this NBA. Better shooter. Yeah. But I just, I, I just look at this team, and I just don't. It really frustrates me how bad they are. That's the problem. You know, you you mentioned Ubre and Porter, and that as a small ball lineup with Wall and Beal. Interestingly, that's. I mean, that was almost like their sort of ace in the hole last year i saw i read today that 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 um, lineup of war bill uber and porter had a net rating of 12.7 a few years ago and 16.2 last year and currently that lineup has a net of minus 3.4 it's a complete turnaround in this sort of useful small ball lineup that proved to be a serious problem for teams this year now in terms of net if you switch uber for morris this year it's been okay it's a net rating of five but that's not the point the point is that you had this sort of small ball lineup that was seriously producing for you, and now it's completely switched on its head. And you know, I didn't like you said. You you said you looked at the games. I wanted to look at something specifically, so I went back to, and looked at this Dallas game, and more importantly, the fourth quarter because obviously the Wizards had um, brought it back. They were down twenty plus early in this game in the second quarter, and they brought it back to ninety nine ninety three with about six minutes left and the ball. And I just want to sort of go through obviously the game ended at 119 uh to 100 you know uh, Dallas ended up going on a 20 to 7 run and just to run through sort of what happened for the people that maybe didn't see this in essence it was a, a sort of concoction of sloppy turnovers poor movement on offense like you said too simple auto porter air balls I mean you have early on you have an auto porter air ball on the shot then they come down uh they get a stop and they actually noted this as a Dennis Smith Jr. offensive rebound. But really and truly, Howard has this ball in his grasp. And he just nonchalantly just... It's, it's almost like he's not aware of the situation. Dennis swoops in like for a quick steal, which they noted as an offensive rebound. Because, you know, um, Howard hadn't really grabbed it properly. Passes it off to DJ and it's a quick dunk. You've got Bradley Bill fouling on three-point attempts in the clutch. They only scored one basket. Um, from that point, from that six-minute point on for the rest of the game, they all, the rest all came from free throws. And I'm not even going to count free throws um, points 99 and 100 because that was an intentional foul that Smith Jr. did to get out of the game in garbage time. So, you know, it was like the final count from that point was one for six, three turnovers. And I, I just, 
it was almost like a, a small portion, like a little microcosm of this team so far in terms of just sloppy play, poor communication. Yeah, you're not going to make shots, but that wasn't the point. It was careless turnovers. And to put in all that work to come back from that position and then to just the way that they played moving forward, I felt like there was no serious spark or input from Coach Brooks to get it done. It was just such a shock to me. And, you know, you said blow it up, but this team is... I mean, it's got some bad deals. John Wall's Supermax hasn't even kicked in yet. And he's not even the worst contract on this team. Like, you've got Otto Porter making Kobe money and giving you rookie Kobe numbers. I mean, it's just, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah Mahim I don't know what as they well. Do. Yeah, exactly. I, I just don't know. You could say blow it up. Bradley Beal's probably the only real trade piece when you look at quality of play and value of contract. So I just don't know where they go from. No, that. I mean, my personal view on it is that some of the contracts above, there's no way this roster should be two and eight. I mean, I'm just looking at it. The Knicks have a better record. The Knicks have, as as much as I like the direction the Knicks and the Nets are going and they don't have the talent that this Wizards team has. Jeff Green, I've got a big agenda against him. Anyone who signs him regrets it. He's terrible. How he's still in the league is beyond me. And he actually sums up the bench unit for me. And it was very interesting when you talk about that Wizards-Mavericks game. I, I always listen to the Mavericks broadcast. And they were talking about the difference between the Wizards and the Mavs in that stretch. And they were saying that the Mavericks have guys like Doncic, guys like Wes Matthews, who are good teammates. They they're not they don't just want the ball in their hands. They will make smart cuts, which creates stuff elsewhere. The, the Wizards players, in crunch time, they all want the ball in their hands. Even like Austin Rivers and, and Jeff Green and Mark, they all want the ball in their hands. And that's the problem with them. They've got too many individuals there's very few unselfish players I and we'll talk about Otto Porter now because he's a guy you brought up a minute ago there's a lot who think maybe he could do more I personally don't see it I think he is what he is I think he's a an efficient shooter on low usage he's not worth what he's being paid do you think you spoke there about Wall's contract do you think the Porter one is untradeable as well I think, yeah, this is, for me, the even more untradeable than John Wall, like what will kick in at 37 plus million next year. Because, I mean, look, he, I have no problem with players getting their money and he obviously cashed in at a time of extreme salary cap inflation. So he's a bit of an outlier. But the fact is, is that that level of mass inflation has swelled. People are going to be smarter with their, franchises are smarter with their money now. And I just don't see who's taking on Otto Porter's, Otto Porter's deal in terms of, in the sense that what kind of production are you going to get from him? You know, he, at best, you might be able to get, like you said, you know, low usage. You might be able to get sort of 10 to 12 points from him. So, some sort of value off the bench, small ball abilities. I understand that. When you look at him, you think he has all the makeup of someone that would provide real valuable minutes for, a, you know, for a good for a good top team uh, as a wing player. And I think that was um, Washington's thinking when they got him the contract. But now it just feels like, you know, that I almost feel like even at 25 years old, have we seen the best of what we can see from him? And is it all sort of a regression from here? It could just be the dynamic of Washington itself. You know, this isn't just a player situation. You know, some Maybe a team, a franchise that's in better stead can really unlock what we've seen from Otto Porter over the years. But the fact of the matter is, can they unlock enough to make his 
his contract worthwhile. And I just don't believe that's the case. No, I think under a different coach who maybe uses shooters a bit more than just sort of going, yeah, go and stand in the corner. I think you can get more from him. But I just, I don't buy into this fact that, you know, people throw out metrics. And I think one of the reasons he has very good metrics is because he has that low usage percentage. And it begs the question, you know, would he... He's very efficient right now. He's actually one of the more efficient wings in the league. But I personally think that would go down with a higher usage if you stuck him somewhere like a Sacramento or a, even a Dallas, who we're about to talk about. But as for the Wizards, surely Brooks just can't have much longer. I mean, the Athletic is saying that he's not even close to being fired. And if anything sums up the Washington Wizards, certainly in the time I've been following the league, it's that. There's just no ambition. There's no urgency. I, you know, I mean, before I followed the league, they were the worst team in the league. They literally had a gunfight in their locker room. This is a team that's just <laughs> been, it's just been dismal. And I just don't understand. You can look at this two and eight start, the manner of it, and think that Scott Brooks and Ernie Grunfeld are the two men to get you out of it. Yeah, I mean, I guess. The funny thing is when we're talking, we're talking about bad contracts, I guess you can talk about Scott Brooks. You can throw him right in there because he's still got three, four years, $21 million left on his deal. That might be the fact that maybe that can play some part in sort of him not being on the hot seat as much as he should be. But, I mean, look, going forward, like I said, as I said before, you know, this team has started 2-7, and 2-8 and eight and made the playoffs. They need, this is the time for them to turn it around. You look at their next few games, they've got the Magic twice, they've got the Heat, they got the Cavs, and they got the Nets at home. And after that, their schedule ramps up again. So I need to see how they'll respond in these next few games, given that this isn't the, f- the first time. If this was maybe another franchise in the playoff hunt, perhaps I'd be more scared. The fact that actually we've seen this before from them means that I need to see more, especially with how they're going to work Howard into the rotation. Um, but if, if we get through that run, or if they get through that run and you st- you're still not seeing any improvement and the results continue to be shocking and then they go on a run which is a lot more difficult i mean it's i don't even know what to say i mean perhaps perhaps bringing a gun back into the locker room will get some energy into this team i have no clue i'm not i'm not endorsing i'm really not endorsing use of firearms people i'm not saying that i'm just saying like they need to get something from somewhere because it is just i mean it's 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 a mess yeah, and I think you know this is a stat I saw that even if they trade one of those contracts, they'll still have like a top five payroll. So it's absolutely crazy. Best of luck to um, Ted Leonsis, the owner. Maybe no. he's thinking of bringing back Randy Whitman for uh, for round two. <laughs> We're going to move on now to actually a, quite a non-depressing team, although some might disagree. Dallas Mavericks, team I've been um, covering this year for Hoops Habit. I've been very, very impressed, obviously, the Luka Doncic, the Luka Doncic storyline is what every what every, is uh, drawing everyone into this team. He loves a floater. He's mm-hmm. just plays with such such poise. What have you made of the Dallas Mavericks um, start this season? Yeah, I mean it's incredible. It's like um, as one great player who is probably the best European player of all time sort of takes his end takes his lead from Dallas another one filters in it's almost poetic you couldn't make it up I mean this guy Luka Doncic he's going to be seriously special and we know it's not a surprise given what he did in Europe and how he dominated at such a young age but his game although obviously you know he's still raw he's still got a lot to figure out but his game is just so 
smooth already and so important for this how the Mavericks are going to go forward and I don't think you look at the Doncic young trade I don't think there's going to be a loser in this trade I think someone's just going to win more and I hope it will be Dallas because I think that in Doncic they have a real centerpiece um you know people have been speaking about uh Dennis Smith Jr how they haven't felt like he's progressed enough this season I think that whilst that may be true I think we need to take a minute to sort of relax a bit on that um, I think they still need to that young backcourt still needs to work out how they're going to get it together um, sort of how they're going to manage their off-ball on-ball duties I'm still a big fan of how he's playing I think the pick and roll game has been solid um, and I, I like I I am enjoying how they're playing look the stats don't always sh- like uh, glow great for them they're sort of middle of the pack in a lot of things but we're seeing improvements from this Mavericks team despite you know they're not converting to wins as much as you'd like but I think you can sort of blame the West for that but um, I hope that this is the turn that they start to take uh, in terms of sort of hopefully trying to get themselves back on track um, but for now I'm just excited to watch they have no real expectations, so I'm just excited to watch how they play and continue to develop with a lot of new pieces that they integrate with the guys that have been there. Yeah, I think they've been they've been a very enjoyable watch. They were without Barnes for a couple of games. They've also got Dirk to come back, who I still think has value, creates that gravity on the perimeter, should help quite a lot. The, the thing that's really interested me about Doncic and something I've written down here. I'm not saying Doncic is the best rookie I've seen because I actually think that the two rookies last year are the best I've seen. But mm. in terms of intelligence, in terms of understanding of the game, efficiency, mm. Doncic is the best rookie I've seen. Um, I don't think he's contributed to winning as much as Mitchell and Simmons did last year, but I think he just plays with that poise. I mean, there was a great play against against Washington where Howard's blocked someone. It came went back into the back court. There was eight seconds left on the shot clock and everyone in the stadium was like going, oh, come on, charge at the rim, but he didn't. He sort of glided his way past Otto Porter for a brilliant layup and one. And that, for me, just sums up the game. It's poise. He plays at his own tempo. You see a lot of downhill rookies. I'm looking at uh, Colin Sexton, who just kind of like tunnel vision at the rim. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Doncic doesn't do that at all. Now, obviously, he's got better coaching, and I just, I really hate banging on about him because probably annoys a bit. But he's so good. Like he is. I'm not sure how good he's going to be. I'm not sure for Mm. me whether he's got that sort of top five, top ten player potential. But Mm. he's going to be so efficient and so fun to watch for years to come. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you know, he's he's got that floater sort of patent down. He's also hitting he sort of you can see he's got sort of two moves that he seems to go to with the floater and the step back three. And the funny thing is, I don't even know I, I saw, you know, obviously he's led the Kia rookie ladder for the first two weeks. And what they said in this year's um this year's this week's report was that they have they mentioned the fact that he hasn't even been given the reins yet in terms of playing on ball more and being a facilitator which we saw a lot of him do for Real Madrid and it's a major part of his game so I don't even feel like they've really unleashed the full potential of this guy yet in terms of what he can do I think part of that is you know it's smart by Rick to sort of get everyone involved and sort of um, intelligent coaching get guys what they need so that everyone's sort of um, playing at a high level but at the same time sort of trying to get the best out of everyone without stymieing someone but still i feel like 
when he he still has another gear to sort of he has another gear left. I'm not sure if it's going to be this season as he continues to sort of polish his game and he may potentially hit a rookie wall as so many players do. Um, but I think that he potentially could do that and that might be the the step that we see in terms of translating for a little more wins. Um, I'm a bit disappointed in that sense. I thought um, that almost what we're seeing from Sacramento, Dallas could fall into that aspect in the sense that I thought best case scenario, kind of what the Lakers were last season in terms of play hard, maybe not win as many games as they could. Um, I'm sort of seeing that from Sacramento at the moment more so. But in terms of his play, you know, obviously it's more than just Doncic, but I mean, he really is a, a special special player i just have it's great for the mavericks that they've done that but i still have concerns for them as a franchise going forward yeah and i i think i know what you're going to get at so i've got a question for you that to pick your brain so you spoke there about how they haven't handed the reins to him that's absolutely mm. um bang on the money they certainly in the second half um and actually, so the big problem in the sort of first six games was Wes Matthews. He was just a black hole. He was just like, they were posting him up 2.5 times a game, shooting from everywhere. As much as I've enjoyed Wes Matthews, if you've drafted Luka Doncic, you don't really want Wes Matthews handling the ball. You want it going mm-hmm. to Doncic. And my question is, I'm looking at Trey Young. He is the guy in Atlanta. They haven't really got another ball hander. Jeremy Lin has been terrible. And but Dallas, they have been trying and failing quite miserably, to be honest with you, to win in the last couple of years. They got guys like Barnes and Matthews on what I call great player money, even though they're only good players. Do you think the fact that they were trying to sort of be this win-now team, do you think that is maybe harming Doncic's development? Because he's not getting the touches he should be getting in comparison to guys like Trey Young, guys like Kevin Knox will when he gets back. How how big of a factor is that? Yeah, I think it's gonna it can affect Doncic heavily, and I think that's only the start. I think that Dallas as a team and as a competitive team in the West is gonna cause them serious problems because I feel like they're sort of dallying in between the we want to win now, but we're not gonna rebuild, but we're partially rebuilding, and they need to take a lane and they need to stick with it. Um, I have a problem with the fact that they're not going gung ho on anything, so I don't, I can't accept that they expect to get any great result. You know, Doncic was a great move, but like you said, you look at the Hawks. You know, Trey Young, they've sort of, you know, he's there are other players there that are obviously getting high touches and doing their own things still in that team. You look at the Kent Bazemores and the Torian Princes, but they are giving him the reins and saying, look, like this is your, we are going to let you do you moving forward. And we're going to develop you as we continue to rebuild. They've decided, look, we're going full rebuild. They've got some potentially good picks next year, other than their own pick. They've obviously got Dallas's pick, which, I mean, it's protected top five, I believe. So they may get a relatively strong pick from there. If not, they can defer it. So you can sense that they've got a path that they're going through. They've got a young coach in Lloyd Pierce, who they're going to move forward with. I just question, you know, you've got the young talent and then you've got mixed with some vets and then you've got the veteran coach and you've got the owner in Mark Cuban who refuses to tank, which I don't have a problem with. It's not necessarily tanking, but you've got to choose a path here because ultimately, if you sort of dabble between the two, you are going to hurt the development of your team. And that's obviously going to 
the young, subsequently de- hurt the development of your best young players, a la Luka Doncic. Yeah, I think you're absolutely on the money there. And the guy I'm looking at really, more so than Matthews, I think Matthews, to be honest now, the last two games they've been putting him with a bench unit and I think he's really played well. He plays terrific defense. The guy I'm looking at is Harrison Barnes. I mean, they really, in my opinion, signed him in sort of a panic in that summer where everyone went mental and they thought, yeah, he can be a fragile player. He's just not. I think when you've got a guy like Doncic, you need to surround him. So you mentioned Kent Bazemore there. The great thing about Bays is he's a fantastic off-ball player. He makes smart yep. cuts. He'll come off screens. Very yep. unselfish. Um, Matthews is that to a extent. Barnes is really not that guy. For the last no. couple of years, he's been, you know, he wants his post-ups. He wants to run a high pick. If he's if he's screaming, he wants the ball back. He's not. He doesn't want to be a decoy. I just think that could be a stumbling block. Doncic is going to be great. You know, you could put him with uh, five guys from the street, and he five randomers from the street, and he played really well. But I do wonder how that Harrison Barnes, how much of an impact he is going to have for this team because I I think he epitomizes what you just spoke about. He's not a rebuilding player. Like he doesn't want to be. He's won a championship. But at the same time, I'd really not sold that he is going to help you win that many games, especially when you need to give touches to Smith and Doncic. No, I mean, I completely agree. You know, he, like you said, he represents exactly the, the problem is with Dallas. And, you know, he's obviously got um, an option to go into next year. And I mean, the thing is, what the only thing I can say from this is perhaps they can revisit this after this season. You know, they don't have their pick this year, so they can really take the time to evaluate how they're going to move forward in terms of after next season when Barnes' deal is done. Obviously, DeAndre's deal is a uh, is was a one-year deal, so at least the saving grace for them is that they are not... St- they don't have to be stuck in the manner in which they're proceeding now. I just fear that if it will click in time that they need to change tack and find a route to go down. And I say find a route, it's go down the obvious route, which is to completely rebuild and reshape your team around your young players, your young talent, and in Doncic, who is clearly the, the next centerpiece for this team. You know, you're exactly, you hit the nail on the head with Barnes and sort of the panic He'll get you. We might as well get him now. He can play, and you know, I mean, in the in the clutch against um against Washington, he had some. He he played pretty well. The thing is, I've seen it a few times where when the game is tight, they go to him to, you know, to try and get it done. And he's got that experience in that post up game to sort of in the half court set, um, to get some get some production and get things done. But the problem is, is that how often are they in this situation? They're not a win now team. It's it's great that you have that win now mentality every once in a while that you're able to showcase but your team doesn't represent that on a consistent basis um so we'll have to see what happens for now i think we just have to enjoy the way that they that this young talent is develop developing i want to give a special shout to um jalen brunson as well who they also drafted because you know he's sort of here and there on the stats but recently he's actually given them some some nice minutes he had a solid game against the jazz um, put up 11 points in 16 minutes you know he's a battle-tested player from Villanova so I like that I like that pickup from them so they've got some interesting talent they need to develop I just think that sooner or later they're just gonna have to pick a path yeah and I I like what you brought about the, the um touches in the clutch but for me those should be going to Smith and Doncic that's kind mm. of what I was trying to get out before is that sure Barnes Barnes is valuable there um He's 
he's versatile. He can win one-on-one, which I think is what's the most important thing. But I personally mm-hmm. would like to see those touches go to guys like Doncic. But, and I agree on um, Jalen Brunson as well. I think he's been extremely solid. I think he's going to be in the league for a long time. Yep. Uh, before we go on to ro- other rookies in the Lakers, I want to talk about DeAndre Jordan, a guy who I don't think we just mentioned. He's been... Mm. They've been using him very interestingly. So I was really... They use him a lot as a distributor rather than a sort of the lob threat. He's still fourth in dunks, mm. so he still gets it. But last year, he averaged 2.7 touches at the elbow per game in the Clippers. Now he's averaging six a game. The only guys above him are Willie Cauley-Stein, DeAndre Ayton, and Wendell Carter Jr., who are all you know athletic guys who, if you give them one yard of space, they're going to blow past you. Do you think this is a misuse of his skill? Because defensively, he's been brilliant. He's allowing only 45% of shots at the rim to go in. That's the best number of any center that's defending uh, the qualified number of shots. But do you think this is a misuse of him on offense? Um, I mean, I think only time will tell. Really, I have. I mean, it's it's definitely something new that we haven't really seen from his game before. And obviously, at this point in his career, you can't imagine that you would sort of find. You won't imagine that you find something new to unlock out of him. Um, I have seen. Look, the fact is that even with these these extra touches in different areas of the court, they are still using him well in, in the two man game. You know, and um, you know, like he said, he's still doing his thing defensively and rebounding wise. In terms of distributing, I mean, I don't know how Rick Carlisle wants to get this, wants to integrate him into this team and how he wants to get him working. Perhaps he sees something um, that we just haven't seen, that no one else has seen before, that he believes he can unlock as the season goes on. Um, but right now, I honestly, you know, I just have to leave it up to the progression of the season. I think I think the logic, I mean, I've not heard this from anyone, but I think he wants to leave the paint vacant at pretty much all times, just so that if... If you're Smith and Doncic's see an option more so Smith than Doncic, they can just hit it straight away. They but they get a couple of turnovers a game where they'll play it into Jordan in the elbow and someone will make a cut. I just don't I don't think he's got that. I mean, no one's got the Nikola Jokic impact, but even no. if you look at other passing bigs, uh, guys like Carl Anthony Towns, um, guys like Draymond Green, I, I just I'm not a hundred percent sold that this is the best way to use him, but he's been the lob threat is definitely still there. That's why they signed him. I mean, Rick Carlisle runs the most pick and roll heavy scheme in the league. He's mm-hmm. kind of he's probably the best at it in the league. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's good. I, I'm interested to see how this team does move forward. I personally, I think the record. I'm I'm always biased to teams I cover, but I'm not hundred percent sure it's a fair reflection. And I'm I'm the same on the defensive rating. They have been. They've been allowing, they've been forcing teams into contested and late um, shot, late shot clock jump shots, but they've just been they've just been making them. That happens. I think actually, if that evens out a little bit and plateaus, I think this could be we could be looking at this team very differently. Like you said, they're trying to work it out how they're gonna, you know, how they're gonna get it going. I think like you, it's still early days, and yeah, no, I I do agree with you in that sense. I mean, watching them, um, I sort of you know watch them later on in that Laker game that they played that obviously they came back um, they came back from that deficit they were able to make some big shots ultimately weren't able to close the deal I'm not sure about whether that was good Dallas or bad Lakers given that we've seen them 
we've seen LA do that in other games this season. But the way in which they've played, you, it's actually a bit of a surprise to me, the record that they have. I will agree with you there, just because of the way that they're competing and how close they're able to stay in games at times. Um, but ultimately, I think it's just about this is a team that's going to need time to work things out. We're working with a couple of new pieces. And, you know, like you said, they're trying things that you don't necessarily agree with the elbow jumpers. They haven't released Doncic yet. I think ultimately this is a team where it's like they could maybe get some things going at a better level uh, as we continue to progress through the year. Yeah, they're certainly one to watch. And we've spoken about Doncic. The next segment is going to be talking about just generally other rookies that have impressed us. I've got a couple in mind. Are there any that have jumped out to you other than Doncic and Young? Um, in terms of jumping out to me, uh, I would say, well, your guy, uh, Akogi, the Timberwolves player. Yeah. I think that he's he's been, you know, I'll leave that to you because I know that that's your guy and you can talk about him more. But he, I mean, he plays with some serious energy. I defined him as it doesn't make sense, but if there ever was one, like a modern Thibodeau player, like you don't really get Thibodeau players anymore. But I feel like he's just, the way that he, he just plays with that sort of intensity. And even though his, his stats don't suggest that he's able to knock down shots at important times. I mean, I watched two two games um, against the Lakers, especially the one in Minnesota where he was just, I mean, he, he just came up big and he just has such conviction in his play. I'm really impressed by what he's doing. And obviously, like, I mentioned him because I look at him, he got, obviously, he got drafted at 20. I look at all the players above that, um, uh, sort of th- one through twenty, and it's been quite interesting for me. If, if you discount obviously the guys that were injured, I think we're seeing a real deep pool of guys that are sort of impressing in some form and another. You've got the guys who are coming into their own, like Wendell Carter, who's averaged fifteen and ten with two blocks and a steal in his last five games. Um, I'm very interested to see how that ta- that tandem in the front court will eventually develop when Markinen sort of gets back to himself. Um, you know, had a huge performance against the Nuggets. He's full, He's sort of a NBA-ready body at 6'10", 255. And, um, and he's playing solid defense, leads all rookies in blocks. Had a great game. Oh, sorry. Um, you know, yeah. And again, just um, I really think he's got a nice... He's sort of, even though DeAndre Ayton, you know, he's impressive and he's got a raw game and he's doing some great things. I look at Wendell as someone, maybe someone who's a bit more polished at this point. So he's definitely impressed me. I mean, the list goes on, really. I'll let you jump in with some of your picks, but I've got plenty of guys that I could talk about here in this class. Yeah, Kogi, is, um, he's brilliant. I tweeted the other day that he might be the best defensive rookie I've seen in terms of the willingness to actually go up against the good players. He's, he, you know, I certainly want Tom Fibido fired, but if that is his last draft, <laughs> if that's his final draft pick, that's actually like a pretty... That's a pretty good place to leave this franchise in. I I don't just think this guy is going to be a great defender. I actually think he's going to be a great player full stop. I Genuinely, he's only 20 and he's already playing quite well. Yes, the efficiency is not there. He's shooting 37 from the field, 24 from three. But he's a rookie and he's playing in a team that is just a mess right now. It's probably not the best locker room to walk into. We've we've got... uh, (laughs) I want to be careful here, but we've got Jimmy Butler, a guy who says that he's the hardest working player in the league. <laughs> he's literally sitting games out. We've got general soreness. Yep, general soreness. But he's but he is the heart. He swears he's the hardest working player 
in NBA history. But this is probably not the greatest situation for him to walk into. But he just he just he's actually uniting this Timberwolves fan base. To be honest, it's not really a nice place to be at the moment. Timberwolves Twitter is very bitter, very divided. You've got those who really support Butler. You've got those who don't. You've even got Thibodeau supporters, quite weirdly. And there's real anti-Glenn Taylor campaign. But I think Okogi has just kind of united us. The guy I wanted to talk about, and over the years, we've not really praised the New York Knicks on this podcast. And to be honest, mm. you can't really blame us. They Bar no. that one season with Melo and Novak, they've not really done much. But Mitchell Robinson... Mm-hmm. They have found, they have found the modern NBA center, and they got him in the second round. I mean, I am mm-hmm. so impressed with what this guy has done this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I remember speaking about him in the um, Atlantic Pod about the fact that he might go underlooked. <coughs> sorry, because he was in the second round, but ultimately he was actually a, a you know a top recruit who obviously decided to go his own way before entering the draft. And you're seeing that now in terms of what people were what scouts were seeing in him and his relatability to the to the NBA. You know, I'm really impressed with what he's doing early on. And obviously they picked up, you know, sort of to put further praise on the Knicks with um, Alonzo Trier, the undrafted player, who's, you know, they've, they've got these two young guys who have sort of maybe gone under the radar because one's a second rounder, one's undrafted. But they are giving big, big minutes for this team and they are having an, a tremendous impact in terms of, keeping the Knicks in games, winning games for the Knicks. I'm I'm really, really excited to see how these two develop this season. No, we've not even seen much of Kevin Knox yet. I mean, I said no. that when they got Fisdale and Scott Mills in through the door, I really think the Knicks are going in a good direction for the first mm-hmm. time, really, since I followed them. I mean, Mitchell Robinson is the type of centre everyone's looking for. He's big, he can run the floor, and he can block shots. You know, if you haven't got a high-powered, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis. That's what you're looking for, really. Every team wants a player like that. He's He looks to me like he's sort of that, the next Clint Capella-type player that, that is going to develop and he's going to make a lot of money on the open market. But, I mean, quite jello. I mean, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of teams kicking themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think I agree with you there because, obviously, pretty much everyone had a chance on him and passed up on him. And I think he's going to make a lot of people sort of, like you said, they're going to rue the day. Um, I've, I, another rookie that I wanted to give some quick shine to is actually um, Dante DiVincenzo for the Bucks. You know, I had the opportunity to watch a few Bucks games uh, this, this season. And I've been really, really, really impressed with how he plays, you know, because he shoots, first of all, on the offensive end, he shoots the ball with such conviction uh, in the sense that he just looks like he's been in the league. Obviously, you know, tried and tested at Villanova. I mean, it must be a Villanova thing when you look at guys like DiVincenzo, Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson. They seem to come in with like this sort of, I'm ready to at least sort of play hard and have the conviction of no fear in the league. I don't know what it is. Props to Villano- Villanova. But he plays bigger than his frame. You know, I've what I, what I consistently see from him is this fact that he may not be grabbing offensive rebounds, but he is such a pest on that side of the floor that whether it's forcing guys to tap it out of bounds or, you know, giving uh, Brooke Lopez the ability to go in there and get it for himself, he plays so hard and with so much energy on that side of the floor and then shoots with such conviction, gets out, com- um, fills the lane correctly. 
I'm honest, I've been very, very excited with how he's been for this team coming off the bench from Milwaukee. And I think that in terms of adding depth to how they've been able to play, he's been that perfect player for Budenholzer off the bench. Yeah, and they needed shooting desperately. I mean, we saw the screenshots of their series against Boston where Janice was driving into the paint and there were like four guys inside the three-point line. I think he emphasises, to be honest, what Mike Budenholzer wants from his teams, that sort of controlled discipline. He doesn't Budenholzer doesn't like his teams to really have that sort of problematic attitude on the court. He likes to be respectful, but at the same time, he wants guys who play hard, who are who are pests. That's you know that's how his Atlanta Hawks teams consistently won fifty games. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. The, the rookie classes are getting better every year. It's just yeah. really, really um, impressive. I mean, I'm even, yeah. I'm even looking at guys like Landry Shamit has impressed me. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I like Grayson Allen as well. They, yep. There's just some really good play, and we've not I mean, even seen Michael Porter or Lonnie Walker yet. No, and that's really scary to me, the fact that we haven't seen those guys and what they're going to be able to do when they come back. I mean, Michael Porter could... If he... That's what scares me about this Denver team the most. And I was discussing it with my friend the, the other day when we are talking about... This is a guy who's a, one of the top talents coming into this draft. He fell for 14 for... it Not on, not just injury issues, because someone might have taken a chance for injury issues, but serious injury issues where you don't know how he's if he's going to be able to play this year. And so if he's able to come back, whether it's this season, you know, late in the season, even if they sit him for the year... And get back on track from what we saw in sort of a short spell in Mizu and before, he's going to be a monster. And Lonnie Walker, again, crazy potential. This talent pool is, I think, fantastic. And I find it interesting. I sort of, my take on it is you look at last season, I felt like last season was the season of rookie stories, while this season is almost the year of like quiet and great production. Like you had last year when it was like, oh, Lavar and Lonzo and what's happened to Fultz's shoulder why can't he shoot and hang on Kuzma's got averaging 28 and 8 uh in, in the last week of December who's the best rookie on the team and wait hang on Ben Simmons isn't a rookie Donovan Mitch like it was just wherever you turn there seemed to be a rookie story and it doesn't seem as crazy this year but then when you actually dive into it that has nothing to do with the fact that less guys are producing I mean we haven't even spoken about Trey Young in any real depth and what he's been doing with Atlanta and how he's been dispelling, I think, most of what people feared about him coming out of Oklahoma. He can still be streaky at times, but and obviously defensively, he's a complete liability. But his ability to finish at the rim, given his size uh, in the NBA at this point already, has been extremely impressive. I mean, and everywhere you look, there is talent that I think is going to go... Um, that's going to go a long way in this league. And it's really promising and exciting to see um, how it's going to progress over the coming years, man. Yeah, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander, another guy we haven't mentioned, Michael Bridges, Miles Bridges. We're, I'm going to move on to your Lakers because we'll be here till next to Christmas. Otherwise, there's so <laughs> many, oh, so many good rookies, and we haven't even seen half of them play yet. Um, yeah, exciting times. We're going to go on to your Los Angeles Lakers now. This was mm. another one of your requested topics, and I think one that's going to interest yes. a lot of people. Um, yes. So. You messaged me earlier saying, can we talk about the Lonzo Rondo situation? Mm-hmm. I've researched it now, but when you said it, I was kind of thinking, what situation? So tell our listeners, what you know, what are you talking about when you speak about the Lonzo Rondo situation? 
Yeah, so you know, to give background for you know the listeners who may not have followed this closely. Obviously, if we start from the beginning, Rondo signs. Lonzo's recovering from injury, so people are saying, oh, you know, um, this is a move that will help Lonzo from a mentorship standpoint, also allow him to become healthy. From a team standpoint, it's the case of Rondo will be helpful in the playoffs, uh, which will sort of help facilitate any win now uh, opinions that the, the team has about the success this season. The brawl with Houston ensues. And the spit hits the fan, pardon the pun. Rondo gets a th- <laughs> Rondo gets a three game suspension, and then Lonzo comes in and has really solid performances against the Spurs, the Nuggets, and the Suns, which leads to Luke Walton under sort of common intelligence but also public pressure naming Lonzo as the starter. Rondo comes back, and in that first game against the Spurs, Lonzo has probably one of probably his worst game of the season. Now we're in a situation where obviously Lonzo starts, but Rondo's really playing the starter minutes. Rondo's actually playing more minutes than Lonzo, despite coming off the bench. But it's not just about the number of minutes, about the time in which you're playing. You know, Lonzo isn't seeing any action in the fourth, whereas Rondo is the one who's really getting those minutes down the stretch. And it's causing some real friction for Laker fans in terms of how the situation is going to move moving forward. Because, and to give Luke Walton some sort of... Um, to give him some credit, he's in a bit of a tough situation because this this situation is sort of a microcosm of what's going on in terms of Magic wants us to win now, but we're also building for the future in the sense that you've got Lonzo who sort of has more upside but isn't the same isn't the player that you need to be playing to win now and can fall out of rhythm if you don't give him the minutes and you've got Rondo who I mean we know who Rondo is as a player how easily is he going to take if he doesn't get the right minutes and the question I mean the first question I just want to ask is that you know do you think Joe that Lonzo and Rondo can coexist on this team all year no I don't I'm so I when I analyze I look a lot of lineup numbers now it's early days it's a small sample size but I'm very much in the belief that if you're um so if you're sort of zero if you're five over or five under I'll let it go but Rondo and Ball together have a net rating of minus twenty one which is by far the lowest that Rondo has with anyone the second lowest he has is with Jay Williams. Wow, sorry for Williams. Okay, that's center backup center. Yeah, so he's that's only a minus six so that one might improve if your net rating is minus 21 to expect that to become a positive by the end of the season is highly unlikely i just i think there's there's too much similarity there they're both they both occupy the same spaces and i personally think rondo at his best in new orleans was actually playing with the bench unit was was surrounded by all these shooters that that the lakers have added you know you called well popes Josh Hart, the Ukrainian guy whose name I am not going to try and pronounce yet. <laughs> not quite ready. I think he's going to be a good shooter. Yes, he is. Yeah. I just, and also for me as well, I've, I'm a lot higher on Lonzo Ball than most non-Lakers fans. I don't just think this guy's a very good player. I think he's, in terms of efficiency, he's going to be one of the great players in this league. I just don't really understand giving this team to John Rondo. I just don't. Sure, you might he might win you a couple more games, but you've got LeBron James. You don't need to change your point guard to win you more games. If you've got LeBron James, you're going to win games. I just personally, I I would start Lonzo, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. And that's the thing. I mean, I completely agree with you because 
in terms of the fact of the matter is, given the fact that Rondo is obviously a vet, he's been here, he's done that, this situation, whilst not ideal for either, at least in the case of Rondo, he's not in that development stage where you feel like he's going to be sort of stymied in that way. But the fact is, if you think Lonzo's your guy, and it might be that, you know, look, I've there's been wind that perhaps they're not as as um, as high on and as Lonzo on the, as they used to be. But if you think Lonzo is your guy, you're going to need him to get into his rhythm and get into the right headspace. And you look at the rest of the, the young guys on this team, you look at Kyle Kuzma, there's no player on the bench that you think, oof, if Kyle Kuzma doesn't produce early, you know, um, early on in this game, he's going to get sat for so-and-so and potentially that person's going to take his place. You look at Brandon Ingram, look, Josh Hart's been playing incredibly well, but you still don't think that Brandon Ingram is going to be on the bench over Josh Hart, no matter how well he plays. It's just not going to happen. It's a terrible situation to be in um, for Lonzo with this idea of, can you really get comfortable? Can you really get ri- into a rhythm uh, of a game when you're always looking over your shoulder and there's a guy on the bench who's technically better than you, has a strong personality, and you have a coach that's not going to make that right decision? At the same time, I don't want to coddle Lonzo because my mindset uh, when it comes to this idea is the fact that Lonzo does need to be more aggressive it was an issue that we saw last year anyway, was the fact that maybe he's not assertive enough to be the guy for this team. And I wonder if, perhaps, do you agree with the sense that um, he should maybe, look, it's an unfortunate situation, but does he need to suck it up more and just sort of do what he does, be aggressive and let uh, his play do the talking? I think... I think that's true to an extent, but I think the the question I've got is he's the second overall pick, and I'm very much in the belief that unless you're unless you've been you know crap like Anthony Bennett, that mm-hmm. I actually think that second overall price tag, as long as you're playing well, I I don't want to say you have the right to start, but you should expect to be starting, and I'd understand if he was being benched for a good player. I mean Rondo has been. He, he was great in his prime, but he's one of those guys that gets very high usage. Yes, he's a good playmaker, but actually the net ratings, certainly in the last couple of years, teams have actually played better when he was on the bench because the ball the ball flows a bit more. I mean, for for, for ball, for me, I, I think he must, in part they must know deep down he's better than Rondo and that, you know, they invested in him. They chose him over other players. He probably thinks in the back of his mind, I, sh- I should be starting right now. 100%. I think you've hit it the nail on the head there with the idea that if you think about, like, as a second overall pick, you you have to take him background into perspective of this is probably the first time in his career where the, the one that Lonzo's ever had to worry about, you know, starting versus being on the bench versus being that key guy in, in, um, in terms of handling the ball. And you look at what's important for this team is not just about highlighting who's better, but who's a better player around LeBron. And you look at what Lonzo requires. If it was the case that, because when we think about the Cavaliers, obviously you had, in the case of last year, you had a player in LeBron who had to basically facilitate all the offense by himself. If there was no LeBron, there was no gravy. And even when Kyrie was there, it wasn't the sense that Kyrie was an offense facilitator as such. He was just someone that could go do his own thing and give you buckets while LeBron could take time off ball and didn't have to always be the one handling. In the case of Lonzo, you look at what he 
prides himself in on the court and just how well of a fit it is in terms of he's a facilitator of the ball who doesn't require the ball that much. His usage rate isn't incredibly high. It was 17% last year. I think it's at about 15% at the moment. And he's someone who will dip, dip and dash and take the ball back later in the shot clock before he then sort of um, passes it up to whoever's making the cut or whoever's open and make the move from there. When you think about the playmakers that the Lakers have on this team, you've got LeBron, you've and then you've got LeBron, Rondo, and Lonzo. One's got to go. So I guess the final question I'll ask to you on this point is, Rondo can't be traded for another sort of month and a bit. As soon as he becomes tradable, are you moving him straight away? Or is it the case that you're waiting closer to the deadline to make a move? My counter question is, who's what kind of team is trading for him? Because you, we spoke about the mm. Sixers earlier and the Celtics. They're both struggling offensively. They're not mm. going to go after a guy like Rondo. I think a lot of no. rebuilding teams, your Sacramento's, your Dallas's, mm-hmm. obviously Dallas don't want him, but team, mm-hmm. you know, your Sacramento's, even your Minnesota's, are they mm. going to go out? And personally, I just, I just wouldn't play him. But the problem with him is, is he's not going to like that. And he's going to, no. he's going to taint everything else. I mean, I never got the signing straight away. I, I think of all the signings you made, I got the Javale McGee one. I actually mm-hmm. got the Michael Beasley one as well. I think he's <laughs> better than he gets credit for, but. Mm. I just didn't really understand Rondo. I thought you had a similarish player with with Lonzo, who has a higher ceiling, and actually is a is a better defender. I just, you know, for me, he should be out of the rotation. Yeah, you know, I really believe that. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, to answer your question on where should he be traded to, it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously Phoenix is in the hunt for a point guard, but they were looking for more the the Goran Drogic type, I guess if you needed someone to sort of, especially with the young talent on that team that would needs a sort of veteran presence to facilitate, maybe that's an option. But still, I mean, I, I don't know if they'd want to rock the boat um, in terms of what they're building. I, I think maybe that could be potential. But if you're going to move, if like we've sort of agreed, you're going to make a move with one of these guys, I do think that it's something that you have to think about as soon as it becomes an option because... The, the, the West, this isn't the East in terms of, oh, we can build for the playoffs and just, you know, we'll be all right when we make the playoffs because you look at the teams right now, you've got eight teams in the playoff positions if it, were gonna, if it was to end today. And out of the teams that are out of it, the seven teams, you've got five teams that people would say are well within a chance of, um, of making the postseason. When you look at Utah and you look at Minnesota and you look at the Lakers and you look at Houston, and I believe the other team is the Pelicans, you know, they're going to have to find a way to balance that regular season with postseason play. And as well as Rondo might perform in the postseason, what's to say that if you give Lonzo the ability to progress, like you've allowed Kuzma and you've allowed Ingram to, and you've allowed Hart to progress and do their own thing, what's to say that he can't be that guy come the postseason? I mean, it, it's pretty much up all up in the air now because not much can be done. But I think that this is a situation that we're going to seriously have to track as the months progress. Yeah, the Lakers certainly certainly have their issues. Strange off-season to me, and I think we're seeing people's worst fears with the off-season now. We had one listener question. It was aimed for me, but you're free to answer it as well, mm-hmm. from Jimmy Zink, who is a long-time someone I interact with a lot. Chicago mm-hmm. Bulls fan. He has asked me... Well, first of all, he has praised me for my Zach Levine praise. Thank you. I was... Yep. Uh, Love my guys at Levine probably more than his mum and dad. But he has asked me, can Chris Dunn be a serviceable point guard? I think serviceable is the exact word I would use for him. I think he's mm-hmm. a niche in the sense that 
he is a defense first point guard. Mm. The the offensive game definitely worries me. I'm not just on about the shooting. I'm I think his the problem I have with Minnesota is his playmaking was very inconsistent. You'd have mm. some games where you thought, man, this guy looks like a kind of the John Wolves the comp he always got. But you'd have others where you thought this guy's a bust. But mm-hmm. I think alongside Levine, he's quite a good fit. He's He's a good defender. He's going to let Levine do his stuff in the PNR. My question is, I think Levine will need someone long-term who could shoot a little bit, even if mm. it's just like 37, 38% from three. I don't know mm. whether Dunn can ever get that, but on that rookie contract, I'd certainly give it a go. I don't really... I don't think he's going to be bad for them, if that makes sense. He's not going to be a negative. What about you? What do you think? No, I think I agree with your point about serviceable and just being sort of nothing special but a cog in this in this system for sure you know you look at the players they've got around you you know you've got (laughs) when you've got a player in your team that makes 20 million dollars and says quote they don't pay me to play they don't pay me players to play defense you need (laughs) someone who's gonna step up on that end of the floor even if he's gonna struggle uh when it comes to putting the ball in the basket and has inconsistency shall we say in facilitating and you know i think that he's the player that's going to allow levine to sort of shine um you know i can I can tell you're enjoying what's going on right now with Levine and his sort of, I guess you call it Cinderella season so far. I'm I'm happy that he's showing, that he's showing out and showing sort of back on the progression of what we sort of saw in those losing seasons in, in, in Minnesota when he was performing, when I thought he was performing at a high level. Um, But yeah, I I think that look long-term he might be, he might not be the guy. But there's no reason right now uh, you still haven't got Mark back in this rotation properly. There's still a lot of things for you to consider. Um, And there's no reason why he can't, like you you said, just be that cog in the machine to allow the other guys uh, in the lineup to sort of um, take more of the touches and uh, fulfill more of their offensive potential. And that sort of tandem, if you have the ability to have a prime defensive player on the perimeter and Wendell Carter continues to promote, um, improve in the post, it could be really um, it could be really solid progress for this team over the season. So I, I have no problem with Chris Dunn. I still don't. No, I, I think, you know, a lot of people maybe underrating the potential a bit. I mean, so, for mm. example, a guy a lot of people are high on in the East is Terry Rosier. And a guy mm. from SB Nation's Bloggable, which is their, their uh, Chicago Bulls website, has done a comparison between the two. And they're actually very similar. But Rosier was supposedly having a breakout year last year. But Chris yeah. Dunn was supposedly just kind of average. And actually, if you look at the stats, they're very, very similar. And that's with Rosier having a much better coach, much better supporting cast. So... I think he can be serviceable. I don't think he's ever going to live up to the number five pick, but no. Put put it this way: the Bulls have their problems. He's not mm. one of them. That's what I would exactly say. that. Their biggest problem. I don't know if you saw. We'll we'll end that here. But there's a great video going around of Jabari Parker yesterday with help defense. So I think <laughs> campaign gets blown by, and I'm not joking. It's if you ever play two K when your control is disconnected. Yep. That was basically what he was. He was just kind of like crouching as um <laughs> as Darius Miller just blew by for the layup. Uh but Jabari Parker, yeah, terrible contract, terrible defender. But it's mm-hmm. goodbye for me and it's goodbye for me. Goodbye.